I think it comes back to now, how do you continuously delight your customer in the small moments? Um, yeah. And we think about that all the time, whether it be things like being reliable. So, you know, for us, when we say we're going to ship it at a certain time, we really... It's so important. Please don't let me down. I have enough shit in my life exactly. letting me down. Exactly. <laughs> like, please, you know, I think especially in this age of convenience or yeah. you know, that kind of millennial Gen Z, it's so important that we're, you know, we do what we say yeah. and that we're just surprised our customers, mm. you know. That's Chelsea Healy. She is the head of brand marketing at Adore Beauty. Adore is a really interesting brand to me because they are really, really heavy in community-focused work. And when it comes to creativity, arts, and basically making a living and pursuing creative endeavors, communities can make or break your success. In this episode, we talk about how Adore are cultivating community by giving people content and advice that's really simple and most of all, really, really relatable. They're also using data to drive their creative choices and lean into what their consumer wants. This chat was also such a good reminder that every opportunity that you have to interact with your customer is paramount to make sure that that interaction is a great one. We had a little break last week because I needed to pause and basically drum roll us into season three of Process the Podcast. A little bit about the process of this and some context. When we came back to the pod um, in Feb, March of this year, after a little, a couple months break, I intended to just roll and have podcast episodes every single week, some long form and some as shorter petite episodes. I'm not sure if you remember that announcement. That has kind of changed and now basically it's seasons because doing infinity podcast episodes is just a little bit crazy for my mental health and basically it means that I never get to switch off, which is really, really important in the creative process. I personally never do really switch off, but having deadlines 52 weeks out of the year is pretty intense. So it's now in seasons and officially this is the first episode of season three. So you will be getting guest episodes for three eps and then a little petite episode from me every fourth episode. So one petite a month and then three guest episodes per month. So I just want to say thank you for being here so far. It's been a pleasure. And we're here for the episode, not for my rants, but Before we get into this, I also wanted to remind you that we are now on YouTube with every single episode that is now coming out. We haven't had the opportunity to backdate the previous ones, but from Dalton Henshaw's episode, every episode is up on YouTube. So if that is your preferred style to consume your podcasts, head over there. The channel is called Process the Podcast, but if you're staying here, let's dive in. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which this podcast was recorded on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I wish to extend my respects to elders past and present. Welcome to Process the Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Thomas, motion director, social strategist, and founder of production company Cinematom. I can't wait to bring you into the world of my guests, the creme de la creme of the creative landscapes in fashion, media, design, and many more as we unpack their unique creative process. So Chelsea, you and I have not met, but we just met, and I already adore you. But I didn't mean that pun, actually. I think it's because adore beauty is obviously at the top of my mind. Oh, I can't put that in. No, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I put that in. I love when people use adore 
I say that word all the time. <laughs> I feel like I gush and say that I adore people. Like at the moment, I'm dating this boy. I don't think he's going to listen to this podcast. I don't love him yet because I'm not in love yet. Okay, but adore is that, is that the same? I state? adore him. Pre love, like well, yeah, I think so, isn't it? I like it. Affectionate. It is the most affectionate. Adore it really is the best. So. <laughs> So you are the head of brand. So I'm head of brand mm-hmm. and look after all things creative, brand, PR and events. Mm-hmm. And I also look after our private label department. So and you guys have two brands under the private label. We do. Viviology and most recently AB Lab. Um, I looked them up. They're really cool, clean, very slick. Yeah. It's been so fun. I think being a pure play e-commerce site having physical products that you can touch yeah and shoot and have real fun with and um it's just been such a joy for us to what see does that come to pure life. play me so just online oh not omni-channel so we don't have any stores currently okay right um, so yeah pure play online that's so cool how did you become so brand savvy because you're i stalked you on linkedin holy shit yeah, it's interesting. I had probably a less traditional path into brand, actually quite an entrepreneurial path. So I was really passionate at school about nutrition, of all things, and was super keen on being a dietitian. And it was actually my mum who, she's an entrepreneur herself, and she'd said, you know, I think you should take a gap year. Are you sure this is what you want to do? She obviously saw something in me that maybe wasn't meant to be a clinician yeah. <laughs> And so um, I actually used that period of time to start my own business. It was a super small health bar in a very small town in Tasmania where I grew up. And I think through that process, I just realized how important brand was, both for growing the business, but also just connecting with the local community. And it wasn't until I went to sell the business. I still had no idea what I was going to do after that. And my accountant said, you know, I don't think you're selling this business based on a P&L. Like, I think you're selling it yeah. based on a brand. Like, there's there's something here that people want to buy into and they can see a future and you should really consider doing something with like that. Like, that was your strength. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't really until then that I was like, oh, that could be something I could do for a living. And from there, I kind of just made it my mission over the last, you know, 10 plus years to just work with as many great businesses as I could and and learn as much as I could about sort of developing brand strategy and seeing that whole process come to life from sort of ideation to to growth and scale. So what's actually involved in your role? We'll use Adore Beauty, obviously, as the template of what we're talking about. Yeah, so I think majority of my role, I work with a lot of creative individuals. So I manage our design, copy, video, photography teams mm-hmm. um, and we're you know pumping out nearly a campaign a day or a promotion a day oh my my so my. you know we have over eleven thousand products 200 brands yeah wow so there's constantly you know we're constantly looking at new ways to highlight our partners and and promote them so a lot of my job is you know it could be planning a photo shoot or it could be a pr event approving copy photography I guess then the other side is the more strategic or analytical lens, which looks at um, sort of where we're going. So mm-hmm. how can we use community insight to really drive the direction of the business and right. the brand um, in its entirety? And that, that involves a lot of customer feedback, a lot of 
um, you know, trend analysis, um, Mm -hmm. looking at kind of, you know, where our strengths and weaknesses are as a brand and perception and things like that. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So what platforms does Adore, all the photo shoots and stuff that you're talking about and videographers, where does all that go? We'll touch on the actual presence of UJC um, as a kind of strategy on Instagram, mm-hmm. but where are these shoots populated? Yeah, so our, our website or our home predominantly houses a lot of our more, you know, photography and campaign work. And then we've got an array of channels at our disposal with We've sort of built a little bit of a media platform of our own. So podcasts, we've got mm-hmm. um, yes, we've got three live podcasts at the moment, which has been amazing. The team is so talented. Yeah, that's a really, it's a really strong area for us to connect with community, and they get to know our personality through through the hosts. Yes, so which cool. is awesome. And then um, all your sort of, I guess, more traditional social channels. So we've got a strong presence on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and YouTube mm-hmm. as well. And then on the, you know, um, I guess larger campaigns, we'll look at things like how we can amplify through PR. We work with an amazing PR firm based here in Melbourne and they really help us get that message out there to kind of key target journalists mm-hmm. and publications that we want to associate with. Um, and then the fun stuff, so whether it be out of home, um, billboard advertising, or it could be an event, activation. There's a lot on. You know, I love it. Like, I love that you can, you know, each sort of, I guess, problem to solve can yeah. be, yeah, amplified through a kind of I guess, shopping list of channels. Yeah, it's pretty exciting when you look at. I love that strategy piece of like, okay, we've got this coming up and we're gonna, we've got the opportunity to shoot this. Where's it going to show up? And mm-hmm. then you literally just plug it in. Yeah. It's so fun. I think we're in an interesting phase as well where it is a bit of you sort of need to be everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, no longer a reliance on one channel as your sort of growth opportunity like it was, you know, five years ago with Instagram. Yes. That was like, you know, just put all your eggs in that basket or, you know, two years ago with TikTok. Now it sort of feels there is a bit more pressure, I think, for brand marketers to be on multiple channels because consumers are on multiple channels. Yeah, absolutely. Where did the choice come from to do a podcast? I think the podcast really came from this notion of demystifying beauty. Like we know beauty as a category can be really overwhelming and confusing and sometimes quite pretentious. Mm. And our founder, Kate, when she started Adore 23 years ago, really made it her mission to, you know, have the cringy conversations, you know, have the conversations about beauty that aren't representative in a beautiful billboard of this amazing aspirational model. It looks all glammed up. It's more about less about the outcome of beauty, more about the process. So yeah. I think the podcast was really just a really a- appropriate medium for us to have those conversations that felt like, you know, we're in your home, like we're talking to you and, you know, some of the original episodes, I think, that kind of put us on the map a little bit with Beauty IQ were things like, you know, shaving in areas yes. that you may not traditionally talk about yes. in the beauty world because yes. we kind of all like to pretend it's that final outcome and <laughs> yes. you know, the process of beauty and so yeah we were we're really fortunate we have amazing talent in the business as well that can have those conversations with our customers and just use it as a 
yeah, it's a, a tough conversation. Do you ever find pressure in reinventing the wheel? A little bit. I was talking to our podcast producer the other week. She was like, you know, we've been doing this nearly, I believe the podcast is close to like four years. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, every week we've got to come up with these new conversations. Yeah. Um, so I think so. But then, again, there's always new and interesting trends popping up in beauty. It's a fast-paced industry yeah, in that sense so there's always something and pop culture plays so much into beauty as well Such so you've got like role. the Met Gala and all the things and everything oh, to talk about TikTok over the last two years you know the trends that go yes. viral on TikTok with beauty is just fascinating yes you know? it's wild so I run the um I run Kmart's TikTok Amazing. and I write strategy for a lot of um, big brands in that space and it is just so funny how like this generation talks in caps mm. but to them if they talk if they spoke in lowercase they'd think <laughs> they were being rude like so their lowercase is our full stop that's so you know true. how you would text and be like oh thanks full stop and you'd be like what did i do yeah like, are you okay yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's so wild, funny it? but yeah the subcultures that are forming as well is just amazing so how does it go i guess when you think of a beauty brand you don't really see corporate you see like and especially me working in in the kmart space and with other brands yes. there's a really bureaucratic structure and all of that and that kind of squashes creativity at the best mm -hmm. of times so you imagine like swatches and fun shoots and like all of my girlfriends that work in beauty are always like posting that moment of the swatches and the new bottles and the things and the samples and then where you're like yes that's so cute but like obviously there is so much else going on what is it like and i've seen even the um the behind the scenes stuff that adore puts out it is in its layout of office space mm -hmm. quite corporate mm -hmm the belly of the beast of adore beauty what's how is the vibe tell me about it yeah i mean i was really surprised coming in you know two years ago we nearly three years ago we listed publicly and so being a public company you know comes with a new layer of that bureaucratic air i guess mm. um but i'm so surprised at how well adore has done to keep a lot of heart and soul. You know, we were founder-led for, you know, over 20-plus years. So it's, I think it's it's really quite hard to, to break that spirit and it's quite strong. Uh, we've got a lot of amazing talent in the business that have been there for five, seven years and mm. have sort of seen those phases of, I guess, start-up, scale-up and now being public and I think they've really probably held on to that culture for us a mm. lot to keep it really warm and and fun. You know, there's yeah. there's no denying there's parts of every business that you know isn't the rainbows and the beauty swatches and the photo yes. shoots. We all we all have responsibilities and things like you know the more mundane tasks like budget keeping and forecasting yes, and totally. reporting and all of that. Yeah, um, but it has like beauty is really by nature quite fun i mean our brands are fun we i know we're not saving lives we're not saving lives <laughs> yes. it's not it's pr not the er it's a similar for beauty like it's um it is a lot of fun and i really personally love being in a profession that's category agnostic because it kind of allows you to dive into these new worlds you know yeah starting at a door and sort of diving into this world of beauty and being surrounded by that I've, I've really enjoyed it like it's I've mm. come from travel and so I always felt that it would be so hard to top because yeah 
when you work in travel yeah you were at luxury escapes before yeah Yeah, when you work in travel you're you know just exposed to so many amazing experiences um but beauty's got a real fun air to it so there's there's always the i guess the more normal business mundane elements to any role in any business but in general we do try to keep it pretty pretty light and fun we were talking about bullfrog before because um yes. they you work with bullfrog media yes. dalton now henshaw's company and i am chatting with him today he he's the best he at bullfrog they do this thing called zeitgeists mm-hmm. and they also do like a round table kind of situation where everybody involved in any kind of touch point of a certain client will sit around with post-it notes Mm -hmm. and they'll pose questions and then creatively this is something that's done in creative industry so i know that dalton isn't going to be mad at me for sharing his secrets or it's fine he's also going to tell me about it this (laughs) afternoon um the and they all kind of go around and then they explain their own interpretations of that kind of what whatever stimulus they've been given Mm -hmm. and then as a group they dissect them bounce off of that give each other like great feedback or quit or like kind of um i guess rebut or mm-hmm. dive further into things and then there's somebody there that's keeping all of this and then basically builds a campaign around right. all of those creative minds in the room so that everybody can touch it and feel it and be a part of it is there creatively how does adore beauty kind of keep the creative cogs turning yeah i mean we are i think by nature quite um small in the way that we work we really how big is your team so in total adore is just over 200 staff right marketing i think we're just over 45 Mm -hmm. and my team eight creatives in my team um and then we work with a myriad of uh, freelancers and, and agencies and things like that um but i do think you know, in particular, coming back, I started in the business during lockdown, coming back into the office, we have really tried to make an effort of having those moments of collaboration. Mm. I don't think you can deny they're a lot easier. Like with Zoom, it feels very formal. Like if you want to give an opinion, you feel like you're taking yourself off mute and you're stealing yes, attention. Yes, little hand emoji. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I probably need to use that more. I just kind of like... Guys. <laughs> got an idea. Um, whereas I feel like, yeah, we've, you know, as a creative team, we sort of have these quarterly off-sites where we'll put up on the wall the major kind of moments that we know are coming Mm -hmm. and then some gaps to allow us for, you know, sort of, I guess, um, more spontaneous campaigns Mm -hmm. as well. And we had one of our first ones um, back in January and it was just so incredible to see, yeah, the, the opinions around the room. You know, I think we can get into a bit of a habit of if you're reviewing a piece of copy you'll just send it to a copywriter or you're reviewing a um you know a photography brief you might send it just to the creative director and the photographer themselves but actually the copywriter can have some really cool insights on the photography and vice versa and you know i'm very fortunate my team are you know by nature really passionate and so yeah being able to i guess allow them that floor to give Mm. that perspective and i do think to to bullfrog strategy as well it does make people feel more a part of bringing it to life absolutely excited even from like the very very ground level it's so cool i also love those businesses that put out i think tiny disco do it really really well they share fortnightly or so on socials 
I think a meeting that they have where they ask their team what they saw and loved and what they thought was cool over the weekend mm-hmm. or what in the past mm-hmm. week has like driven them. And I know other businesses do it, but tiny being um, a Melbourne based business. And then they kind of share like what everyone is loving and being energized by. Yes. And as soon as you see them, and especially those EDMs that have like the, um, like a URL thumbnail link to it to be like this, you just go like the amount of little things and you're not really having a stalk because it's sort of like mm-hmm. offering you a sticky bag. Mm-hmm. It is so fun to like hear what the rest of the creative world are being stimulated by. Yes. And I always uncover the most incredible gems. Yes. It's the best. So yeah. those moments of like, what are you guys loving? What's on? Like what's happening? What is kind of getting you going at the moment is so cool. And I think underrated. Yeah. I'm definitely known in the office or in my team, at least as the, the sort of screenshot queen. Ah, yes. <laughs> I was like randomly sending all these screenshots. I'm now like being able to start. I'm on WhatsApp, yes. yeah, but I'll now, I've now started a bit of a folder in my library Ooh, because I don't okay. need to keep sending these. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I kind of jump them into a like, Google slide yes. or something. I won't say who, but I have someone very close to me that I report to, and one of my clients <laughs> loves to just send me something like two in the morning <laughs> with no context, and it'll yeah, be that's... so random. <laughs> and I'm like, what else? What was this related to? to Yeah, and they're like, oh, just keep it in mind for spring racing. And I'm like, (laughs) how would I have known that? Anyway, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, the stimulus and stuff that people are drawn to, I think, is so cool. So what do you think that brands need to stand out in 2023? Yeah, I think it comes back to kind of that post-digital social focus that has been the last five to ten years and really understanding that those channels are highly competitive, more expensive than ever, and, yeah, you've, you've lost a bit of virality within those channels just in the last sort of year, two years alone. Mm-hmm. And so I think for going forward, it's almost going a little bit back to basics or back to, I always say, like, grow big while staying small, mm-hmm. so, like, the little touch points without having to just rely on, you know, these, you know, overnight success stories Mm. of, you know, we got on Instagram at the right time and we got these 10 influencers and all of a sudden we're this big business. Mm. I think it comes back to now, how do you continuously delight your customer in the small moments? Um, Yeah. And we think about that all the time, whether it be things like being reliable so you know for us when we say we're going to ship it at a certain time we really it's so important please don't let me down i have enough shit in my life letting me down exactly (laughs) like please you know i think especially in this age of convenience or yeah you know that kind of millennial gen z it's so important that we're you know we do what we say yeah and that we're just surprised our customers Mm -hmm. you know for us that could look like the you know, the additional little goodies or samples that you get or the Tim Tam in the yeah, house. Yeah, the that's the ever happened to me. I, uh, so I'm more excited about the Tim Tam than the skincare. <laughs> it's become so synonymous. And I love that because it's all about beauty should be the the little luxuries, the little moment of indulgence, yes. not just the finished product, that kind of moment for you. Where did the Tim Tam come from? So our founder, Kate, she started a door 23 years ago. And so this was you know, kind of on the cusp of 1999-2000. And so starting an online beauty store 
then was really quite hard because it wasn't a normal thing for you to buy beauty online. And so I think she just really used it, kind of coming back to that surprise and delight element as a way to be like, thanks for trusting in my brand or yeah. thanks for supporting. I believe it started as a fairy friend, a Capri, remember the fairy yeah. friend? And she realised through the shipping that they weren't quite as um, stable, like they would melt and yes. things like that. And so it got switched out for a Tim Tam. And, yeah, we've been doing that for over 20 years. <laughs> I had a guy, Jacob Arnott, who is We The People. Do you know oh, that yes, agency? Yes, yeah. Yes, and the yes. first question I asked him was like, are you a part of the Arnott's dynasty? And he was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Can we like, get free Yeah. <laughs> He technically is a part of the Arnott's dynasty, and I uncovered that little. And I was like, shut up. And he was like, why are we talking about this? I'm here to talk about TikTok. And I was like, this is game changing. Maybe if you could link us up, we buy a lot of Tim Tams. So if we could get a bit of a deal going there, I'm surprised you don't have one. We have a great relationship with Tim Tam, but we do, yeah, we buy a lot of Tim Tams. I can imagine. A lot. Wow. I would just eat them all day. Are they in the office? They are in the office. I think it it does, by nature, come a bit like, you know, how many Tim Tams you It's a shame. But I still love, like, we we do our staff orders and we we still get some Tim Tams and sometimes the... The guys in the warehouse, the uh, CFC will, will sort of um, tin tam bomb us. So oh, amazing. That's so much fun. Heaps in. You just open up your box and like 10 tin tams in there. <laughs> that is so fun. Yeah. Um, so Adore necessarily like you guys have, for example, on your Instagram, mm-hmm. it's all sort of a look and feel of the customer and it's not necessarily campaigny mm-hmm. hair and makeup mm-hmm. where did that come from yeah i think it started because it's unusual isn't it yeah I, I mean it's it's less unusual now but certainly was when we started it yeah um and so it came from you know kate our founder's desire to start a beauty brand was all about you know less about the finished product so you know in 2000 when a door was founded you would you know potentially go into a um, you know, a retailer and go up to the beauty counter mm. and, you know, this this woman would be so beautiful and they would just be, like, selling you something without really having that conversation yeah. with you and you'd sort of leave, I think, feeling a little bit, you know, um, intimidated mm. by the whole experience. And so that's always been Adore's mission is to make beauty less intimidating, more empowering, and I think that that just played a really big role in deciding visually that we were going to be more community centric. Mm -hmm. It started predominantly with our staff and to really utilizing all the amazing talent we have in the office to kind of be the face of our brand. When did that kick off that they were the face? So I think about seven, eight years ago. Right. So when you joined the company, that was already the way that it was done. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's been sort of a really big, strong pillar for mm. Adore for a long time. I think where we've tried to focus over the last year in particular is um, still having that voice of expertise through our staff and our content creators who are by nature experts in mm. beauty, but now kind of giving the mic a little bit more to our customers. And so, you know, our recent Mother's Day shoot that we did, we still, you know, we still wanted to make it really visually appealing and aesthetic and beautiful and memorable. And so we we hired a studio and, you know, we used our amazing photographer and all of those elements that make a campaign. But instead of going and hiring models or influencers, um, 
we actually just did a community call out to our yeah. customer group. And we said, you know, come be a part of our Mother's Day shoot. We had the most amazing applications of, you know, mums who had, you know, their mum had lost their husband recently and they wanted to come on this photo shoot as kind of, you know, to keep those memories. Or we had a mum who, you know, her her younger son never takes photos with her and so she just really wanted to keep these special moments um, for them. And so for us to to bring that campaign to life has been amazing and I think definitely our strategy moving forward is where we can yeah. use yeah, customers as the face of our brand. That's so, it's really powerful. I do a lot of work for Pink Hope, which is a breast amazing. cancer prevention foundation and they, when they do the call outs and like I shoot portraits and stuff of some of the breast cancer survivors, people currently going through chemo and then sometimes like the daughter will come or something like that yeah. and being able to I guess, immortalise this moment in time for them where they're surrounded by women Incredible. dressed to the nines, hair and makeup, and they just feel so beautiful. Yes. And you're able to capture that. It's so underrated. So special. Oh, I love so it. So special. Yeah, the, the Mother's Day series that we did, even just the the sentiment, like the conversations that you just would never have with your mum, you know, one of the the daughters was talking to her older mum about how, you know, in the 80s she used to walk into the bathroom and her first experience with beauty was her mum putting on, you know, bright blue eyeshadow. And so we filmed her, the daughter, putting on bright blue eyeshadow on the mum and that's mm. just memories that they'll have for a long time. Yeah, so, so cute. All the warm and fuzzies. Yes, if that's the kind of work that I would do for free. Oh, completely. You know, it's so that, good. Those really are, like, we, you know, brand or marketing is sometimes considered that kind of colouring and department, kind of the fun yeah. one. Sometimes you really have those days where you're like, is this what my job, like, do I get paid yeah. to do this? Because this was awesome. And yeah, that, it's really fun. Yeah, it's a nice validating point when you walk out of a shoot like that to be like, this is why we do what we do. How do you physically pair the work that's shot in a studio with the UGC style yeah. content really of point. people in home and, and shooting it on an iPhone and that kind of thing? That actually is becoming a bit of our visual style, that kind of mashup of those. Mm. So, you know, our Valentine's shoot was a really good example of this where we did a call out to our community on shooting in their home, you know, mm. kind of moments of love, whether that be self-care or with their family and their partner. And then we matched that with this a really amazing studio product shoot and yeah. kind of use those. And I really love that juxta of imagery mm. style at the moment and something that we really want to own moving forward. Mm. But I think it's okay for brands to have high-low moments yeah. in visuals. So to be able to allow yourself to go and do a really well-produced campaign when the moment is right for it, but also... Yeah, have those more homely UGC feels to complement it. Doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm, definitely, I think. Yeah, I love the the beauty UGC when you see somebody that identifies exactly with what you're going through, or yes. they have the exact same complexion as you, or yes. I have a really light rosacea, yes. and it's not enough for me to be identifying with someone that has full bone rosacea, <laughs> but it's not to have. 
to connect with on a skin level with someone that doesn't have anything. Perfect. There's yeah. this very, very, very small niche. Yes. And I'm like, where are you? And then when you see someone, you're like, oh, finally, they've yeah, addressed the me. topic. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think TikTok's amazing for that. You just well. feel seen. Yes. It's the best. You can find that community. I love it. So how have you guys developed and maintained Adore's brand voice? It's really, it's probably like an ongoing challenge for any brand, but in particular for pure play e-commerce retail. Because mm. like I mentioned, we do, you know, upwards of, you know, a promotion or a campaign a day. My team can be delivering up to three, four hundred assets a month. Yeah. And so, you know, it is really hard to keep that consistent tone and sort of comes back to having a very strong you know we call it our brand bible mm -hmm. and that is you know a physical or a virtual deck of um what our brand is all about and that can be something really quite broad around our founding sentiment but it also needs to have quite specific examples so you know, whether that be a celebrity or a customer persona that every time an asset leaves, you know, to go live, it's like, oh, would that resonate with that customer or Ooh, mm. would, would, does that feel like that sort of muse that we've identified in our brand Bible? And that for us, you know, in particular now that we've grown and we've got these amazing sort of channel experts in place who are really, you know, autonomous and run with their areas, mm. um, has become a really important part, that kind of living and breathing brand Bible that everyone sort of can reference and go to when creating their strategies or producing an asset. And it has Thanks to be it. evolving. You know, we we started uh, a new sort of brand Bible, a brand book, July last year, and we looked at it the other day and like, all right, oh, we've learnt so much between yeah. now and then and where we're going, it's time to revamp that again. And I think it's constantly... Um, you know, there's certain principles or foundations that you don't want to change in your brand mm. from a consistency perspective, but you find, you know, through creativity, you find these new areas where you're like, oh, I really love that campaign. That should be more part of our brand mm. and how we articulate ourselves. And so, yeah, we're really fortunate, like with our team, that we're constantly thinking about how we communicate that to the wider business and, and own that as the thinkers of brand. How do you guys measure the impact of something that you put out? Yeah. If we use, like, say, for example, one that you are putting out, mm, I don't, is daily a good example or should we use a bigger one? We use a bigger camp campaign, but it, it does scale down the whole way. I think in general for brand, it's that age-old problem of, like, how do we prove that this is yeah. worthwhile of investment and time and all that sort of stuff. And I do think that has been made even more complex over the last 10 years and the rise of digital where you can get results so quickly and you can optimise using data so quickly. Mm. I always describe brand marketing comms as that perfect balance of art science mm -hmm. or gut feel and data. So, you know, really using data or analysis to drive the initial insight like why are we doing why are we putting this campaign out why why do we think this will resonate with the customer mm -hmm. what have our customers told us or what have they responded to in the past that we know is a bit of a validator but the rest has to be a little bit gut and mm -hmm. a little bit of faith i think in the sum of all you know when we look at one individual campaign you might go 
you know, is that worthwhile putting out? We're going to have to, you know, put together a shoot and bring in these people and engage this mm. person. But it's the sum of all, you know. Customers go with you on that journey, and you know, over a even a twelve month period, the reason they believe or they remember your brand is not because of one specific campaign. It's all the little touch points that they've had yeah. along the way, and so I think that's important. And so the consistency, consistency, and just having a bit of a bit of faith, you know, driven by insight. So take the data, take the insight initially, but then really run with it and don't overanalyze along the way or yeah. actually stifle kind of that progress and momentum. You're better to look over the 12-month period. And, you know, we measure things like um, customer sentiment, awareness, consideration, preference. Mm. They're all done with third-party brand trackers that you can access that mm-hmm. will give you that data but even that, you know, we look at that maybe on a quarterly or an annually basis because mm. we can see clearer that kind of sum of all campaigns rather than one individual. How do you guys go with like TikTok, for example, when the reach is so extensive mm. and you guys could go viral with something overnight, you could wake up to a majillion views. Yeah. How do you kind of justify when somebody's seen something but they're not acting on it? So you don't you've you can cool that you've reached that many, but then maybe in six months they're buying the GHD from you because they saw it one time. And that's that's the sum of all, right? Like that right. that's kind of I think where you have to have a little bit of faith that each interaction with your brand is a relationship opportunity. Like you're building mm-hmm. a relationship with that individual customer. And you know, kind of if you're going on if you were dating it's not going to be like the one date that you're going to be like, this is the man I'm marrying yeah. or, or when I'm marrying. <laughs> you, you know, like you yes. might go, oh, I'm going to test this out again. I'm, and maybe you run into them in a party the next week or maybe yes. see them down the street and then they text you about something or it's like there's the sum of all, all of those little Or moments. networking, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, I feel like I've kind of been on that trajectory of LinkedIn at the moment. You just never know who's going to see what you've done and you never know what's going to come back around for and something that you put out. And each each piece that you put out is that kind of subtle cue of who you are. And then my brand's the same. It's like, yeah, yeah. on LinkedIn somebody might have connected with you and been following your journey and then you finally meet them in real life and they've already made all these assumptions about you because they've seen these little moments yeah and brands are the same you know you've really got to sort of trust the process there and build those relationships if you focus too much on that conversion point from one piece yeah you get you know everything would just be doesn't work next but yeah. I have so many contacts and friends in the startup phase where every dollar is because they've either got funding mm-hmm. and everything is accounted yeah. for, so they get questioned constantly, or it's literally this house deposit has gone into this brand. It's crazy the justification. Yeah, it's I feel it's crippling almost to be like you just have to trust, just have to trust. <laughs> yeah, the right people. Yeah, and, and put it all in. I think that you can spread yourself too thin as a startup as well a little bit. So yeah, just being able to say we're going to trust in this platform and we're going to you know maybe complement it with two or three other elements of the brand for now. Yeah, um, I'm going to do them well. Picky battles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what role have customer insights and feedback played in like shaping Adore Beauty? It's, it's quite huge. Like we. 
you know, being e-commerce, we have obviously a lot of first-party data. We're very lucky as far as being able to understand what our customers respond to and use those insights to really shape business strategy. But in general, it has been a big ethos for the brand is to proactively have conversations with customers. Mm. And how do you do that? So that could be surveys or like surveys. It could be, you know, we're talking about the front line of social media, having that kind of feedback come through and translate across the business. Is that DMs, like listening? DMs. Yeah, no DMs, um, comments. You know, we, you know, send out post customer service surveys or part post. And we just take all of that and really, I guess, make sure that we are delivering on what our customers want and love from us. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important. And then another more tangible example would be the launch of our second private label brand, AB Lab. We actually went out to our customer base, our Adore Society members, and we're launching a sunscreen. What do you love about current sunscreens? What do you mm. not like about them? What would you know? What would help you it wear sunscreen daily? Mm. What would you know, if we added cosmeceutical ingredients to your sunscreen, do you think that that would help you enjoy wearing sunscreen mm. more? So we, we genuinely took those insights and then went and created products. Yeah, it's like reverse engineering. Yeah. Already using the database that you've exactly. worked tirelessly to exactly. grow. That's crazy. So good. Yeah, and I think there's a, always a balance with data. It's that saying of, you know, if you had asked people, you know, back in the day what they wanted you know, after horse and cart, they would have set a faster horse. Yeah. So there's like a fine line of, you know, you take you take those meaningful customer insights, but you also have to have a bit of leap of faith of this is the future and this is something we're going to bet ourselves on a little bit. Do you personally have a formula for how you take on data and then regurgitate it into a brand strategy? Yeah, I guess. I mean, we have our quarterly surveys that we send out. We do a public sample, so we go out to a third-party database to mm. make sure that we're not too biased with our same our, um, Adore sample. And then we'll go out to our Adore sample, and I'm able to then sort of take all of those insights and answers and formulate a bit of narrative of current culture, how our customers see our brand, you know, what's really important to retain, you know, which we've got reliability. Mm. Our customers love the fact that they can rely on a door. And so, you know, getting that feedback is so important to then be able to talk and kind of, I guess, reiterate to the, you know, customer fulfillment team, like, yeah, we're doing a great job. Like, we got to keep mm. keep going on this, you know. And I know things are harder as, as um, you know, current economic climate and whatever, but this is important. Mm. And so there is that direct line of customer insight, brand strategy, business outcome, and sort of how that follows through. Are there any challenges being just Australia and New Zealand? Um, I mean, there's obviously challenges in being in Australia, being a smaller country, but we feel really fortunate in particular in, in beauty that, you know, it's something that you always you always little want those little luxuries of beauty. It's yeah. not something like a car where you yeah. buy it maybe once. Um, and so we still feel like there's so much opportunity in Australia and New Zealand alone to consider. There's a lot of retention in beauty, isn't there? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> How do you anticipate and kind of like adapt to changes that happen in the global market? Yeah, so I guess with this one, we I mean, we pride ourselves on being 
masters of beauty or experts mm. in beauty and so it's kind of then our job to really make sure that we understand what's coming down the line whether that be from other global markets like the uk us japan singapore you know we we really get excited by seeing those trends emerge and how we might then implement those whether it be product development through our private label you know we might see a trend that's happening or is growing um, either through a social platform or a global market and really make sure that our PD team um, can spearhead that and lead that so that we're sort of first to market um, within Australia. Um, and then we just, yeah, we really try to put ourselves in the cultural zeitgeist as much as we can and understand sentiment, I think. Like as the economic situation of the world and the fear that is in consumers is that affecting adore beauty strategy and therefore you're creative are you kind of malleable because of that um i think we the current economic climate just makes us more passionate than ever to deliver a wide range of little luxuries mm. to you know our community that might be going through you know anything currently we mm. want to make sure that we're reliable that we have a like a broad range, that we're accessible, that we're surprising and delighting them, that little sample or Tim Tam yeah. moment or whatever it might be. So I think, if anything, doesn't necessarily dramatically change our strategy. It just reiterates the points that we need to be there for our customers and make sure that we you know, are there support during this time. Where do you think that you acquired your own leadership skills? Because who, who in the business reports to you? So I've got a creative team, so we've got designers, photographers, copywriters, got marketing managers, and then I look after our um, external freelance pool and mm -hmm. agencies. Mm -hmm. I think my leadership skills came predominantly from being thrown into starting a business at 18. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think just you've always got a little bit of something in you naturally, like during school and whatnot, but I think... Yeah, that was a real like push in the deep end. Oh my god, these people are now looking at you for to solve the problems <laughs> or for guidance on where this is going to go. You're like, just trust me. Yeah. And so I think that sort of maybe um, accelerated my leadership skills mm. being thrown into that at such a young age. And then I feel really fortunate to have had amazing mentors along the way. I think being a good leader is having confidence and being self-aware mm. and you know if you're lucky enough to have people that will equal parts boost you up and give you that confidence but also tell you the hard truths that you need to be self-aware mm. about the sooner you can become you know a better leader and sometimes that just takes time as well like I don't think see you know lots of super young people you know thrown into leadership roles and they do amazing work but i just genuinely believe that you know you just get better and better as you become more confident and more self-aware yeah and you can yeah fast make some mistakes by having noise. amazing people yeah <laughs> yeah exactly all the time <laughs> yeah the what it takes for a woman to become a good leader 
is to be thrown into the deep end. I absolutely agree. Mm. But if she's yet to run a team of her own but can feel that that's the direction that she's going, for example, somebody that is about to scale or really interested in scaling, mm. but until now it's only been a business of one. Mm. Do you have any advice for the yeah. youngins or the spring chickens? <laughs> I think leadership at its core, like regardless of running a team or not, is about turning up with really inspiring energy mm-hmm. and so that was always a really big part when I started to work for other brands and businesses was I wanted to be the person that after an interaction with me whether it's that you know you're talking to the CFO or you're talking to um, a marketing manager or customer service that people were like oh this is exciting you know I think yes. that's leadership to me it's like oh, okay, I'm sold. Like, what? where is she going? What, what are they doing? You know, uh, you've, you know, you've sort of brought me on that journey. And so I think, yeah, regardless of having a team or not, anyone can play that role within a business or within their community of just being really passionate and excited and, and treating each interaction with other people as a chance to get them, yeah, passionate and excited about what you're doing. Do you have any advice about getting the best out of people around you? Yeah, I think there's equal parts care and dare. So um, I had a great chat with our head of HR last year where it was, if you know you really care for your team, if you if you really genuinely know that you've done everything that you can to make sure that they're set up for success and that they feel supported then you kind of have earned this ability to dare them and push them a little bit further, mm. but you can't have one without the other. So you can't be all dare, no care, mm. you know, because otherwise it just feels really intimidating and pushy and, you know, a little yeah. bit confronting. Do you have examples of care, like how you yeah. make sure that that happens? It might be just being aware that one of your team members is feeling a bit overwhelmed and reaching out them to say if you need to take you know a half day or if you need to if you want me to sort of help you with this project and I'll get I'll get in and, and fix this for you or it could just be you know pumping them up when mm-hmm. when it's just the simple things of like calling out that they've done amazing work even when you're stressed and pissy and on to the next yeah. 20 things um, yeah there's lots of and Adore has been an amazing example of a caring culture for me coming in. It really does put people first. Um, and so, yeah, I think if, if that care factor is there, then you can you can push your team and, and push, push them out of their comfort zone so that hopefully whether they progress within the same business or go on to another business, that they've, yeah, that, that push out of their comfort zone has taught them something or they're leaving mm. with a bit more confidence. Who do you think is absolutely smashing it at the moment brand-wise? There's so many great international examples, but also Aussie brands. Um, Let's start with Aussie. Yeah. yeah, heaps normal, loving them at the moment. They just do such amazing work. Mm-hmm. They're such an example of like a category leader right time. Mm-hmm. Um, distribution strategy incredible they are I'm talking ev- to him so. oh amazing yeah. yeah they are everywhere at the moment um really strong purpose 
as to why they exist, but also balanced with that visual identity that just makes them stand out in the mm-hmm. category. I think Venroy, I've been really yes. with. Yes, I can't believe I opened a store in Capri. Ah, oh, why? Brand exercise. Yeah, I mean it, it makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, it makes but huge, huge. Yeah, and that's that's that kind of like when you know your brand, you can dare to do those little Who's things. Who's behind it, or is it like some secret source of people that's like, actually, oh, of course they did that because it's actually. I feel like most likely. I feel like Vinroy is like Oz, where there's someone behind the curtain that we actually know, and like, of mm. course they did that. We just don't, but like. Because there's not really a startup story out there, yeah, but I true. feel like there would be if they were true from the bottom. That's really true. Yeah, we'll have to look into it. Yeah, I don't know, but I adore Vinroy. They're, they're killing it. Their visual identity, like the fact yeah. that you can just see straight away, like if you see an image of theirs, you know it's Vinroy. Like and just, yeah, the store, touch points, everything. Amazing, amazing. Even like they've got playlists on Spotify. Yeah. It's really cool. That full holistic view yeah. of yeah, what a Van Roy lifestyle is, yeah. as cliche as that sounds. And it was missing, which yeah. is shocking. Yes. Like you look at that lifestyle and you're like, why didn't anyone do this before? How was there room for something so perfect that we can all yes. relate to? <laughs> like I was thinking about the gap and like where there's a space. Now they've filled that. It's And bringing back, I think, the art form of um slow content like mm. as in they clearly are really investing in they're their, quite curated aren't they? yeah they're quite curated they're really investing in photography and that takes i think a lot of guts for a brand now when the content sphere is so fast yeah like you know it's nothing more frustrating when you put a lot of effort into you know an instagram post or something and it's it's just gone yeah you know it's like once it's on it's like yeah Next, next, yeah. next, next, next. And I think, yeah, brands like Fenroy are doing amazing work in, yeah, the, the art of visual and... Even the postcard that they have at the desk and they put a postcard in your bag every time you shop there. Clearly, I've shopped there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you keep... I wanted to keep it. Yeah, I'm also on, like, a no... I'm not keeping things at the moment, as we've discussed. I'm, like, <laughs> very... Get out of my space. But... I didn't want to throw it away because so it was beautiful and the paper stock wasn't perfect. <gasps> you cannot underestimate us in conversation with our, with our creative directors. <laughs> and, like, you, it's very hard to articulate how important visuals and aesthetics yes. are to a brand because, you know, especially, yeah, outside of this era of digital and analytics and being able to see if something performs straight away. But it's so important. Like, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I really hats off to them for investing in that. Internationally? I think probably Jack Moose at the moment. Mm-hmm. So impressed. Even, even at the Met Gala this week, it's like you just knew straight away that Bad Bunny was Jack Moose. Mm. As in like if you had, a, you, you could have guessed that a mile away and that is really good brand identity I think Mm. when you just know who that person is in real life Um, you know their AI stunt recently a lot of investment in visuals again I saw this week they posted something to do with the um, you know Chanel Met Gala um, event and it had nothing to do with Jack Moore's clothes at all (laughs) it was just just like you're investing in your brand and that storytelling and yeah 
Yeah, I think they're doing amazing. And my friends at July Luggage. Yes. Incredible. They've just launched in the UK or about to launch in the UK. They've got their new store open in Melbourne. Love their focus on product. I drove past their space in Collingwood the other day. Yeah, that's their, that's their office. I love yeah. it. Yeah, beautiful, isn't it? And it, just a focus on product, I think, is so important yes. there. It's like, you know, I've been gifted July before, <laughs> and it was heaven. So good. And they're, they're, yeah, their share of carousel, there is so many now. Like, when I whenever I travel anywhere, and I'm like, yes. ah, my, like, oh, my wow. friend's always the GM, and I'm always, like, snapping photos of July on the carousel. Yeah. Such a cool Aussie story, I think, of growth. Yeah. But wild that they did it post-COVID. Like, oh, and they had it, obviously, pre-COVID. But, like... It's strange that... Yeah, COVID period. Incredibly well. Incredible timing, really, to be able to come off the back of that and go, we're back, travel's back. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? And what about you? Any brands that you're loving at the moment? Yes, but, like, so many. I know. I'm really impressed with the brands that are taking things like the Met Gala and making fun of themselves mm-hmm. like and not taking anything too seriously and yeah. being really cheeky on their feet yes. like I'm really into what Dunkin Donuts is doing with Ben Affleck yes. I think it's just funny like oh. there's not a, like they they're just like it's just gags they're not here they're selling donuts they're not saving lives they know that and although everyone's like, oh, Mr. Donut, like Ben Affleck, he won't be able to shake that ever, but <laughs> he's fine with that, so we're all fine with that. So good. Like, it's just funny. And having an always admire teams, marketing teams that can be that reactive because yes. it clearly means they've got a very strong brand identity so that when these things come up in culture, straight away we know we play in that space. Yes. I think that's kind of, you know, the goal of every brand with culture moving so fast now you know the australian example koala did that very well yes like we know we know what role we play we know our brand our tone of voice so that when these things come up and we can see an opportunity we're willing to just jump like even the um australian federal police commission Mm -hmm. commented on the met gala as in a post and were like the fashion police are here and like it was just funny that 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 got approved like people are so loose at the moment to just be like yes that's funny let's just do it and they're not i feel like everyone's kind of in this space of yeah throw it out there but I i feel like that only works like you know if you think about that comment that social media manager or whoever the community engagement manager that's running that account clearly knows that as a team like we're this is part of our brand strategy this is you know i think otherwise it becomes a hey guys should we post on this should we comment and then all of a sudden you've got 10 people going oh i don't think that's the right thing to do it then yes you know like you need that sort of a surety of where you play as a brand to be able to be they got so much attention for it and then they had to end up posting just so people know this is run by a social media manager not a detective or someone working on the front line like please don't think that we've stopped we're not watching the Met Gala we're actually out on the streets like we're responding to your calls we're here for you yeah so I think the ones that are really I guess that surprise and delight thing that to come full circle Mm -hmm. that we're talking about of the brands that you don't expect to do it but then do it really well is what I'm loving of course there are the ones that execute every time like a Venroy and stuff but the ones that are just bringing out the goods and are just 
letting their hair down and are not taking themselves too seriously so yeah, that when you see that moment pop up, you actually are laughing because you just didn't see it coming. <laughs> That's, I think, the best because we all need a bit of reprieve. It's all very serious yeah, out there really, in the PR, really, ER world. Kind of like um, the trend I was digging into the other week was all about this um, over-the-top positivity movement, like even the Ted Lasso yes like you know there's a reason why we just all are loving having that like overly positive sentiment it's like things can be really tough yeah we all just want to be able to kind of lose ourselves in a bit of positivity yeah Um, especially at post an era of quite a challenger brand space where everything was quite like emotive and serious and um compelling i kind of love this you know Ted Lasso, Harry Styles-esque. Oh, my God, it's just so good. I feel like, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry Styles just makes me so happy. I love, I went to a Harry Styles concert when he was I'm in so jealous. Melbourne. And uh, I was, I don't know if I could not switch off my work brain because I was like, there is a whole team behind this man that is, like, you know, curating him. And mm. that is impressive to me. Mm. And it's like, you know, they understand their audience, they understand culture, they understand the role that Harry needs to play in that. And obviously some of it is organically him and mm-hmm. what he brings, but I love like, photography style and outfits and this kind of, you know, yeah, this brand. Bunnings must have been stoked. Oh, my God, how gold was that? <laughs> I love when we were leaving. It was like a... It was like, you know, a million chickens had shed their feather, like all the feather boa. Oh, my God. It was like everywhere. It's just like he's just managed to do like the ultimate celebration. Yes. Of life as you are, as your circumstances are right now, not as you will be when you're 100% or when you've put your makeup on. Like there's no – I feel like he's not a man encouraging you to be a finished product and then show up. He's like – Full blown as you are, let's go. Yes. And it's just remarkable. But I feel like that's exactly what a doggy is trying to do as well. I think so. I was just thinking in my head, I wonder how we could get Harry involved with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know I was talking uh, the other day to a friend who works for a luggage company that I've just mentioned, mm. and they're like, Harry's team reached out. I'm like, oh my God, can, Shut I, get up. In, can I get in the suitcase and get <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. Wow, that's some airport content if I've ever seen it. Very impressive, yeah. Oh, my God, I can't wait for that to drop if that's a thing. We'll see, we'll see. Wow. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me. I feel very inspired to go and make some Easter eggs in all the brands that I work for. That's so – it's just been the best chat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Um, I can't wait to get a Tim Ham in the mail next. I'm going to order soon. I can hook you up (laughs) on That brings me to the end of this episode. If you loved this episode, please send it to a friend, share it on your stories or leave a review. We've arrived at season three and this is a real hustle effort by my team. The podcast is not sponsored or anything yet. It literally comes from the heart. I'm just here for the chats and the creativity and I need all the love that I can get. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave Process a review to help get this in the earbuds of another creative person just like you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.